Romans 1.16. Does anybody know what it says off the top of your head? you got to start. For I am not... Go ahead and put that up there, Billy. Help him out. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek also. This verse, this verse right here, there is an unbelievable amount of stuff about God in this verse. And that's why we're going to spend the next five weeks, five weeks, looking at this verse. Yes, way. Because the whole idea is, is the fact that, that God has called us to be unashamed. If we say we believe in God, if we say that Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins, if He rose from the grave and He conquered sin and He conquered death, and we belong to Him, then we're called to be unashamed of that fact. We're called to be unashamed of the God that we serve. And there's times in our lives where I think every one of us, we don't necessarily act that way. Now, there's certainly other things in our lives we've done before that we've been ashamed of. Anybody in here, I'm not asking you what it is, ever done something that you are ashamed of, that you don't want people to know about? What, is, what does it mean to be ashamed? What's that? Embarrassment? Humiliated? Yeah. I actually looked this up because you guys know I do this. I looked this up in the dictionary. And here's what it said. Feeling shame, guilt, or disgrace, feeling inferior or unworthy. Every single person in this room has felt that way at some point. And as I started thinking through this, I started trying to go back in my mind thinking, okay, what, what are some things I've done that, that I'm ashamed of? And something came to my head that I honestly had forgotten about for a long time. Way back when I was in elementary, I remember one day I was walking with my class. I was probably in about first or second grade. And I was walking with my class somewhere. And I remember there was this girl in our class. And this girl, she, she was bigger than me. She was certainly a lot meaner than I was. And for whatever reason, this girl was picking on me that day. And I know, cute little innocent me. I know. It's hard to believe. And I, <laughs> no, no, I didn't see that one coming. I did not see that one coming. But we're walking to class, and this girl is giving me a hard time, and I don't remember what she said, but she said something, and it just made me angry. So instead of turning around and like telling the teacher like the teachers tell you to do, or instead of trying to be smart and make her feel horrible and say something to make her feel bad, I did the first thing I could think of. No, I did not smack her. I balled up my fist, and I hit her right in the stomach. I punched her in the stomach because I was mad. But you know what? To this day, I'm ashamed of that. Because, guys, just in case you need to know, you don't hit girls. In the stomach, in the face, on the arm playing around. Don't hit them. Don't slap them. Don't do any of that. Because you're not supposed to. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm saying it, because I know some of the guys in here do. But see, that's something I'm ashamed of. That's something for a long time, guys, I didn't tell anybody about. Because I didn't want anybody to know. And I guarantee you, when I got home that night, oh, I was ashamed because I couldn't sit down for a couple hours once my dad got done with me. Yeah, you can laugh at that. It hurt. But you see, just like that, every single one of us, we have things that we've done that we're ashamed of, that we hope people don't find out about, that we hope people never know happened in our life.
But you see, sometimes that's the way we approach the gospel. The problem with that is, is that if we belong to Jesus Christ, we're not called to be ashamed. We're called to be unashamed. We're called to be bold about who he is. We're called to proclaim who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in our lives. Now, when we say we're unashamed, the way some people take that word to say, you know what, I'm unashamed, which means, well, I don't really care if people know. That's like me saying, okay, you know what, I'm unashamed that I'm left-handed. Well, I don't really care if people know that I'm left-handed, but I also don't go out and start telling people and yelling it and posting it on Facebook, even though some of you do post things like that on Facebook, but I don't proclaim that kind of thing. But you see, that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about just not caring if people know. He's talking about taking what you know about God and going out and being bold and courageous and actually putting it out there and talking to people and telling people. We are called to be bold for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is exactly what Paul is talking about here. Because when we're ashamed, when we don't tell people about Christ, we'll say we're a Christian, but we don't tell people about Christ, that says something about the way we view God. If we are cowering in fear, now you may say, you know what, I don't care if people know, but if you're not out there telling people about Christ, then in some way we are cowering in fear because there's a reason we're not telling them. And when we're ashamed of something, we cower in fear. Maybe it's not physically, but maybe it's inside. Maybe it's an emotional thing. And we don't tell people about the God that we serve and the God that we follow. And that tells us something that we believe about God. It tells us that we believe that we can't be effective for God. It tells us that we believe, whether we admit it or not, that we don't necessarily have much value in God. But you see, Paul tells us, I am unashamed so far. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's how Paul lives his life. That's why you can jump over to Acts chapter 28 and you can see when he's living in Rome, it says he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. See, Paul was unashamed of who God was and what God had done in his life. And that's why we're coming to these first five words in this verse of Romans 1.16 tonight. For I am not ashamed. Because there is so much packed into that about what we believe about God and what God has done in each one of our lives. And as you read throughout Scripture, you start in Genesis and go all the way through the book of the Revelation, you can see time and time again where God has people that were unashamed of who he was. And you see God do incredible things through those people. And the person I want to look at tonight is a guy by the name of David. You've probably heard about him before. I want you to flip over in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Flip over in your YouVersion app, whatever it is you may be using. But that's where we're going to start out tonight. And we're going to be 1 Samuel 16. Let me tell you a little bit about David. David is the son of a guy named Jesse. Pretty cool name, I think. You don't have to agree. But he's the son of a guy named Jesse who's got a lot of sons. David happens to be the youngest one. And David, and where we pick up this story, David is out in the field. And David is a shepherd. And he's just this teenage boy. And you see, when we look at the story of David, as we start going through this... And we start talking about this idea of being unashamed. There's a couple things from David's life that we need to know, that we need to remember that David clearly knew. 
And the first thing that we need to know is this, is that God has called you. God has called each and every single person in this room to do something for him. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6, here's what it says. When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Let me go back and tell you what's happening here. Saul is the king of Israel at this time. But Saul has ignored the word of God, and God has decided that Israel needs another king. So God tells Samuel, I want you to go. I want you to go to Jesse, and I want you to pick one of his sons. One of his boys is going to be the next king. But so that, God, so that Samuel didn't, or Saul didn't know what Samuel was doing, Samuel said, I'm going to go make this sacrifice, and I'm going to invite Jesse and his sons to come with me. That way Saul doesn't know he's looking to replace him. So he takes Jesse and his sons, and when he does that, he starts looking at his sons, and he tells us right there, the first one that he sees looks like a king. The first son that walks in front of him, it says, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But God says, don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The reason I've stopped right there is because we need to remember something right there. When it comes to doing something, God does not have a type of person that he uses. Samuel's first thought is, here's this number one son. This number one son looks like a king. He's got stature. He looks kingly. And God says, no, that's not who I want. You see, a lot of times we get in our heads for some reason, that God can only use a certain type of person. Maybe somebody that looks a certain way. Maybe somebody that has a certain set of skills. God can only use those people, and I don't quite measure up to those people. But you see, that's not what we see here. We see that God looks beyond what everybody else sees, and God sees what he can use. We may not think God can use those things, but God can do anything if we're willing to follow him. I told you some of you guys about this. I know a guy who's a youth pastor over in Jacksonville, and he stutters pretty bad sometimes. And I mean, there are days where it is, it is painful to listen to him preach because there's certain words he just can't get out. But you know what? God has used him to reach hundreds and hundreds of teenagers with the gospel of Jesus Christ because he's willing. And that's what we need to understand from that right there. It doesn't matter what we look like. It doesn't matter what we think we can do, what we think we can't do. If we are willing to follow God and let him use what he's given us, God can do things that we never even imagine. So let's see what happens next. Jesse parades all of his seven sons in front of him, in front of Samuel, and Samuel turns down every single one of them. And we pick it up here in verse 11. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up. And went to Ramah. From that point on, 
for the rest of his life, David knew that he had been called by God. No matter what he came up against, no matter what he faced, there was a moment in time right there that David could look back and say, God chose me for something. Right there. And he's done the same thing for every single one of us that say we believe in him. If there was a moment in your life when you understood that you were a sinner and that Jesus Christ died for those sins and paid the penalty and defeated every bit of that the day he came out of that tomb, then there's a moment in your life when God called you to something. Now, we may say sometimes, you know what, I don't know what God called me to. Why not? Because it tells us in Scripture what we're called to. It says it in Matthew 28. Many of you know it. It's called the Great Commission. It says in verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples for all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You may not know the method that God is going to use you. You may not know the road he's going to take you down to carry that out. But that's our calling. Our calling is to make his name known. Whether that's through the job that you choose whether that's through you being a Sunday school teacher or a youth leader or a children's leader or whatever method God gives you. But that's our calling. And that was the calling that he put on David's life. He said, David, you're going to be king, but you're going to be my king. Everything that you're going to do is going to be for God. It's not going to be for David. And that's something that you and I have to remember is that from that day forward, when God placed that call on his life, the Holy Spirit was upon his life. Just like the Holy Spirit is upon our life if we ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins. That same spirit that came upon David, that same spirit that came upon the disciples in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, that same Holy Spirit of God lives inside of each and every single believer today. We have that same power. We have that same God. There's a verse, I can't remember where it is in Scripture, but it says that, that we've not been given a spirit of fear, but we've been given a spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. That we're not supposed to be unashamed. We're supposed to proclaim God. We have been called, just like David was called. That's something that we have got to remember each and every single day. What we see next is the next thing we need to know. We need to remember that no matter where you go, no matter what you do, God is with you. If God has called you, then God is with you. Look at what happens to David. We're going to jump over to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1. And we pick up here, the Israelite army is ready for battle. So let's see what happens. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Soko. I may get some of these wrong which belongs to Judah and encamped between Soko and Azekah. In Ephes, Damim, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Allah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side and the Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now, let me give you guys some perspective on how big Goliath actually was. I'm, I'm 5'11". 
I'm a little bitter about never getting to six feet, but I'm 5'11". There's nothing I can do about it. Six, right here where it says six cubits in a span, that's approximately nine and a half feet tall. So that's like taking half of me and putting it on top of me. That's how tall Goliath was. This is a big man. And not only that, it tells us his height, but then look at some of the things it says about what he's carrying. It tells you a little something about his strength. It says in verse 5, he had a helmet of bronze on his head. If you've never held something made of bronze, it's heavy. Then it goes on to say, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went before him. That coat of, that, that weight of his coat, the coat of mail that it talks about there, that is approximately 125 pounds. So that piece of armor that he's wearing just on his torso is 125 pounds. Where it tells us the head of his spear that was 600 shekels of iron, that's about 15 pounds. Now, some of you guys that work out, you can lift weights and 15 pounds feels like nothing. But imagine picking that up and throwing it. And that's just the head. That doesn't tell you how much the bronze handle of that spear weighed. This guy's strong. And that shield that it talks about, the type of shields that they had, those were full body shields. They would cover you from head to foot. And again, it's made out of bronze. So they've got a challenge here, the Israelite army, don't you think? This guy is coming out and he's challenging them. It says right here in verse 8, He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then he will be your servants then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They're scared. They're scared of this one guy. Now logic would tell us that if Goliath is this big... History and archaeology tells us that the other Philistines were pretty big too. They may not have been as big as Goliath, but they were probably pretty big guys. And the Israelite nation is facing an entire army like this. I don't know about you guys. I'd be scared. But you see, it doesn't just stop with the fact that they're scared. If you continue to read this story, it tells us that Goliath comes out twice a day morning and night for 40 days and says the same thing. 40 days. That's over a month that the Israelite army stands there and does nothing while Goliath calls them out and defies who God is. But you see, David's about to show up on the scene and things are going to change. Because David remembers called by God and that God is with him. David, the reason he comes to this battle is because three of his older brothers, they're a part of this army. They're a part of those guys who have been standing there doing nothing for 40 days. And he comes just to bring them food. But you see, when David arrives on the scene, he sees what's happening here. 
In verse 23, it says, As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and take away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David can't believe what he's hearing. He can't believe he's walking up and, and this army, this army of God, the Israelite nation, has done nothing. That this man has been allowed to come up 40 days, 40 days, day and night, and call out the people of Israel and call out God, and they've done absolutely nothing about it. The God that created the universe, the God that made the covenant with Abraham that the Israelite nation would be his people, the God that flooded the earth, the God that can do anything. David's saying, guys, what are y'all doing? We serve God, and, and you're letting this guy talk about him like he's nothing. That doesn't sit well with David, because David remembers that God has called him and God is with him. And the story goes on here in verse 31. We're reading a lot of this tonight because I think it's important. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. You got an entire army that won't go out and face Goliath. And now you got a teenage boy that'll do it. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. David is unashamed. David knows in this situation, he is declaring that God is with him. He's not worried about what may happen because he is unashamed of the God that he serves and he's willing to say that. He's willing to state that in front of the people in the army. He's willing to state that in front of the king of Israel. How many, anybody here ever fought a bear or a lion? Nobody? Yeah, I hear you. Now, this doesn't tell us that he trapped them and then killed them. It tells us that he went and grabbed them by the beard. I mean, he grabbed them by the hair on their neck and killed them and delivered the safe, safely back the sheep. This guy barehanded fought these animals. I don't know if y'all have ever been up close to any animal like that, like in a zoo or something. I had the opportunity one time, I used to work for a company that, that sold supplies to veterinary offices. And I made deliveries for him. And one day I got to this one veterinary office 
And as I'm making the delivery, the receptionist, she said, hey, you want to see something cool? I'm like, okay. She said, come back here in, in the back room where the doctor is and, and come check this out. So we walked back into this back room and laid out on this big silver table, this big metal table, is a white tiger. And it's alive. Now, she told me it was about two years old. It was still considered a cub because it was so young. But this thing was huge. It was longer than I am tall. And thank goodness it was asleep. And I asked her why they had it there, and apparently somebody had bought it. I don't know how legal that is. Somebody had bought it, and they were having it declawed at the vet's office. So I held up the paw. I asked permission. I held up the paw and put it up to my hand, and that thing's paw was bigger than my hand. There's power in those animals. And Scripture tells us that David fought them barehanded, that he went after them, he grabbed them, he killed them. You see, God has provided for and protected David all the way up till now. And because David trusts God, because David is unashamed of God, David is confident that God is going to deliver him again. That this Philistine, this giant, he's nothing compared to these bears and these lions. And he is so bold to go tell Goliath what he's going to do. It says in verse 44, The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hand. David's throwing out some serious smack talk right there. Serious. He's looking at Goliath and saying, you know what? I don't care what you say. My God's going to kick your butt. And there's nothing you can do about it. But you know what? It's not smack talk if it's actually backed up. And as you go through and you continue to read the story of what happens between David and Goliath, most of you probably know it. David doesn't take the armor of the king and the sword of the king. He takes a couple stones, he takes his sling, and he hits Goliath in the head with a rock. And it kills him. And then he goes over and he takes Goliath's sword, not even his own, and cuts the man's head off with his own sword. Because he's confident in the God that called him and the God that is with him. He is unashamed of the God that he serves. And because he is unashamed, he is able to be bold and to go out and do what you and I read about and think, man, there is no way. But that's what God can do. That's how God can use us when we are unashamed of him, when we are confident and boldly proclaim who he is and what his power can accomplish. So here's my question for you over the next couple of weeks. As we get into this, as we start diving more into this verse and what this means in our lives, you and I have a decision to make. Are we going to be unashamed for God? Are we going to be willing to take a stand, to be bold? 
wherever it is He puts us. You're not in school right now, but some of you are still hanging out with your friends over the summer or the sports that you play or the job that you may have or maybe even the family that you're a part of. Will you have the courage to be bold and stand and be unashamed for the gospel of Jesus Christ or will you do like the rest of the Israelite army and just kind of shrink back and wait for somebody else to do something? God has called us to be unashamed, to be bold. And that's my challenge for you. Find opportunities to do that this week, to be bold. And they don't have to be big things. For those of you, we're going to Wild Adventures. It's a summer serve. You're still going to serve people while we're there. I'm going to give you a 3 by 5 card, and it's your job to come up four ways to serve somebody. That doesn't mean serve one person four times. That doesn't mean do the same thing for four different people. I want four different ways that you show the love of Christ through your actions. And if you have a chance to speak about Christ in those service opportunities, will you be bold? Will you take it? That's my challenge for you. And do me a favor. Hold me accountable to do that too. Let's pray.